Hello and welcome. This is Roger Royce on Tal Radio with Silicon Valley Impact, where each week we talk to one of the great influencers in areas of philanthropy, social good, impact. And today we are really excited. We've got a really great guest, Michael Gelb, uh, who is a speaker, uh, an author, a book author. He does programs, he does coaching, he has online co- courses. He has a lot of, of content, a tremendous amount of content around uh, topics related to creativity, innovation, thinking, brain, persuasion, speaking, a lot of really great topics. So there's a lot to cover today. Uh, we'll try to touch some of, the, some, of the high, some of the high points. So first of all, Michael, thank you for being here. Wonderful to be with you. Thanks so much. So I'm, I'm going to jump right in and just ask you, first of all, about your healing organization. I think that would be really interesting to our listeners. Can you tell me a little bit about what that is and how that works? Sure. Well, the healing organization, Awakening the Conscience of Business to Help Save the World, is a book that I co-authored with Professor Raj Sisodia. Raj is the co-founder of the Conscious capitalism movement. And I've known him since the mid-90s when he was the director of the executive MBA program at George Mason University in Virginia. And Raj actually engaged me to teach creative thinking and innovative leadership to his executive MBA students, which I did a number of times. And through the course of those programs, Raj and I became friends And a few years later, he published a book called Firms of Endearment, which was one of the first books that made the business school case for ethical, caring business. And when I say the business school case, it wasn't just that he did it in a kind of Harvard case format. He also demonstrated that those companies who are caring and ethical make more money. <laughs> so that had always been my, my sense of why, why being engaged with business leaders. When, when I started my career, I had no clue about business. I wasn't interested in it at all. I was totally focused on psychology and the development of individual creativity and the fulfillment of human potential. But the funny thing was that businesses started to engage me to teach them that in the late 70s and early 80s. And I got engaged by visionary business leaders who were trying to make the world better by creating people-centered cultures and promoting diversity. This is way back in the late 70s, early 80s. So wow, you were a pioneer then. That's really early. And there was no name for all of this then either, except that people thought you were crazy, the idea that business could help change the world. <laughs> but then Raj, Raj did the academic research with his colleagues and demonstrated, no, this was, this was the future of business. And the future of our, our society. The business had to play this role. So once we, we connected, after he brought me in to teach these courses, we naturally just uh, started working together. He invited me to be the master of ceremonies for the first few Conscious Capitalism CEO summits. And I gave keynotes at five or six of their global conferences. And one day we just said, 
we need to write our book together. And it's not just about conscious business. It's about business as a force in healing society. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting what you just said about how ethical businesses tend to be more profitable uh, and impact investments tend to do really well. It's just so counterintuitive. But, you know, I've seen that over and over again now. Why do you think that is? Well, I think people love them. (laughs) That might be it. I think people love them. And I think their employees love them. Their customers love them. Vendors love doing businesses with them. Communities love having them. And it's, it's a, you know, people talk about love as this airy fairy woo woo thing, but every, every tradition teaches us that it's the most powerful force in the universe. But here we see it manifest in the fact that these companies, like uh, one of the companies we profile in the healing organization is called Barry Waymill. And it was started by this amazing guy named Bob Chapman, who was at, uh, who's running these, pretty boring businesses in the Midwest doing things like putting together paper boxes and, and you know, paper pulp processing sort of thing. Uh, and a lot of the businesses that were being shut down and outsourced to China and Latin America and so on. But Bob was buying these companies. And, and one weekend, he, he happened to be at church and, and he just, he had this epiphany. He realized that he and, and the other members of his congregation were, were basically under the, the eye of their minister for an hour a week. But he realized, he said, the people who work for me are, are under my care for at least 40 hours a week. What am I doing to make a difference in their life? And so he just, he shifted his model that, that business could be about healing. It could be about helping these communities whose jobs were being outsourced or people were depressed. So he's, he's now bought, I think he's up to 130 companies. Yeah. He's never sold one of them. He basically rehabilitates these businesses. He's created a phenomenal leadership training program to develop human potential. And he's made 17% a year since he started doing this. So, wow, that's awesome. Why would you not do, you know, once you know, you can, you can be caring, you can be ethical, and you can do that consistently. You wouldn't waver. You wouldn't change it. It can't just be fake it. It has to be for real. Bob's for real. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's and, really amazing. That's, that's really good stuff and probably the future where companies are going to go, where they have to go. That's where we're trying to, to inspire them to, to, to go, and they need to go a little faster. Yeah. You know, Michael, I know you've written another book called How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, How did that come about? And did the healing organization somehow lead to that? Well, the healing organization was what I always had in mind as the underlying vision, mission, purpose of what I was doing to help business become more creative, compassionate and conscious to help make a difference in the world. But most of my career is focused on teaching creativity and innovation skills to businesses. And the healing organization didn't really become a lead part of my message until I published that book. It was always the underlying philosophical, intentional background. So the skill I taught to get in the, I used to think of myself as a Trojan horse. <laughs> You know, get into the walls of the city because your company needs to be more creative and innovative. 
And then while I'm there, maybe I can teach you to have a higher purpose and be more humanistic. Uh, but you have to be able to deliver the goods in terms of being able to teach people to be creative. And there's nobody more creative in human history than Leonardo da Vinci. So in 1998, I released this book called How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci. And fortunately, it became a global bestseller. It's in 25 languages and it's still going strong. People write to me pretty much every day and say, this book changed my life and I didn't realize I could be so creative and my kids are reading it. We teaching it in our school system. So you know, Leonardo is the archetype, the ultimate global archetype for the fulfillment of our potential. So people are fascinated by him, but did you know that you could actually really learn to think like him, that he gives actual advice in his notebooks? And all I did was translate it into practical contemporary terms so you really can think like da Vinci. Wow, that's amazing. Can you give us a tip <laughs> here on the radio? Sure. No, the, uh, so where are you, where are you, Roger, physically located when you get your best ideas? Where are you actually physically located? Oh, I'm usually probably out working out or running or cool, something. Right? So a lot of, I'm like that, working out, going for a walk. The number one answer around the world is in the shower. Oh. Uh, people, a lot of people, it's in the bathtub or waking up at four o'clock in the morning or drifting off to sleep after a nap, uh, walking in nature, driving in the car. Almost no one gets their best ideas at work. <laughs> <laughs> so Leonardo says to his students in his notebooks, he says, it is good when you are working hard to go off and have some relaxation. He basically says, walk in nature, take a nap. He says, but keep a little notebook with you and write down the ideas that arise. And in contemporary language, he basically says, even though they might be weird or off the wall or strange, write your ideas down. So we know that Leonardo's notebooks, we have about 7,000 pages. We probably lost 7,000 pages. or probably about 14,000, 15,000 pages altogether. Bill Gates paid $30.8 million for 72 pages of Leonardo's notebooks back in 1994. Wow. And the practical message is really simple. If you want to develop your creative thinking, your intuitive mind, begin to tune into, well, where are you when you get your best ideas? You're usually by yourself and you're relaxed yeah. one way or the other. You're out of your habitual mode of thinking. So have a little notebook with you or just send yourself a text message or a note on your device. Yeah, we have devices now. It's easy. Everyone's always got one. Right? But the key thing is when you start to bring your attention and to value that subtle, quiet part of the mind, then it speaks to you more regularly. And it's an effortless and enjoyable way to begin to nurture the depths of your creativity. I see. Yeah, well, that's that's great advice. Um, that if Bill, you know, if Bill Gates paid that much money for the notes, they must have some value in it because he can definitely see around corners. Well, yeah, he he paid he paid thirty point eight million dollars, and I think on Amazon, my book will only cost you twelve bucks, so you're making money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How to think like Leonardo da Vinci: Seven Steps to Genius Every Day. Well, I can't wait to take a look at that. It sounds really exciting. You know, you've done a lot of other things, I've noticed. Uh, you, you touched on a couple of them, creativity and innovation. And that certainly is something that we, we like to think Silicon Valley, where I'm based, you know, is, you know, is based on uh, people's innovation. 
Um, is that the kind of thing that people can learn as well? Like they can learn how to think like Da Vinci? You can learn to think like Da Vinci and you can learn to innovate like Edison. So the Da Vinci book came out in 1998 and six or seven years later, I got a call. This woman said, hello, I'm Sarah Miller Caldecott. I am Thomas Edison's great, great, great grandniece. And she mentioned to me that she had read the Da Vinci book. She was very inspired. She wanted to talk to me. And she also mentioned to me that she had an MBA from Dartmouth's uh, Tuck Business School. So in that nanosecond, I had an innovative idea. I thought, we should write a book together about Edison. <laughs> I didn't tell her right away. I got to know her first. But indeed, we did because it helps to have role models for whatever you want to do. It helps to have models of excellence. If you want pure creativity and self-expression, Leonardo is probably the greatest. But if you want innovation, Thomas Edison is supreme by far. I mean, Edison, you got to think about this. He invented the technology and had the vision for three entirely new industries that changed the world forever. He didn't just invent the light bulb. He figured out the way to illuminate the planet. He invented recorded sound, the phonograph, and the whole modern recording industry stems from Edison's patents. And the movies, 1,093 United States patents. But his greatest invention of all was the business model for innovation, which was tying research and development, a team approach to research and development, to production and manufacturing and marketing and sales. Now, yes, Edison was flawed and he had problems and so does everybody ever in history. So I don't want to waste time critiquing him because he made some huge mistakes. So did everybody else. But you tell me who else created three entirely new industries that absolutely changed the world forever. That's Thomas Edison. Yeah, well, that's certainly something worth studying. Your, your book about Edison uh, and how to become a, a better innovator, I guess, or how to, how to learn to innovate. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? I know you've got some stories about how that book came to be. Sure. Well, when the book came out, I was interviewed by USA Today, and the reporter asked me if Da Vinci and Edison got together, what might they ask each other? <laughs> so I said I thought that Da Vinci would ask Edison about the nature of light. And then Edison would ask Da Vinci, do you want a job? <laughs> and, but it brings it home an important point, which is that creativity is necessary for innovation, but it's not sufficient. So creativity is the generation of ideas that have subjective value. I consider innovation to be the generation of ideas that are then translated into objective value like making a profit in a competitive marketplace by meeting a real human need in a more efficient and intelligent and ideally new way that nobody ever thought of. That's the nova in innovation. It means new. So creativity and innovation go together. You need them both, which is why it's great to have Leonardo da Vinci and Thomas Edison as your personal mentors for these, for evolving creativity and innovation. Yeah, they are really related, aren't they? I can see that now. Hey, let's switch gears for a minute because, boy, you have written a lot. And one of your books just kind of jumped out at me as I was going through your, your list. 
uh, your, your filmography, I guess. It's called Brain Power, How to Improve Your Mind as You Age. And as being one of the people who is aging in the audience, uh, I'm certainly curious about that. Um, tell me about that. Are there ways that we can make ourselves smarter or maybe retain more of our cognition as we get older? Uh, gee, I, I don't know if I can remember. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, if one thing to do is never say I'm having a senior moment uh, because you know six and seven-year-olds forget things all the time and they don't say I'm having a junior moment. <laughs> but there is, there is a tragic negative attitude towards aging, especially in the U.S. Uh, we, we venerate youth culture, which is ephemeral. And all of us are aging. Some of us just don't realize it yet. And yes, it is. We now know there's been an absolute paradigm shift in our understanding of what's possible for all of us in the course of our lifetimes, I've interviewed lots of neuroscientists and they're not the kind of people who make up new words on a whim. So a new word of the last 30 or 40 years is neuroplasticity. Mm. Neuro brain cells, plasticity, changeable, adaptable, flexible. So we now know that you can develop your brain as you get older. There's another new word that they coined, neuroneogenesis. You can generate new brain cells as you get older. And let's get real. It's important to actually learn how to do this because there are challenges that actually happen with age. I'm, I'm about to turn 70. Hmm. So I'm really glad I wrote that book, uh, Brain Power, 10 years ago. Oh. And I practice everything in the book. And in practical terms, my memory my energy are stronger now than they were then. Wow. And it's a good thing because my left shoulder joint isn't. I'm probably going to need a shoulder replacement. Hmm. So I need to be more resilient, more focused, more disciplined if I want to continue to be sharper and more energetic, which I'm 80, which I do. And by the way, uh, I recently... A couple of days ago, visited my mom and dad, age 95 and 90. They don't, my dad was an oral surgeon for 45 years. My mom was a psychologist. They were affectionately known as mental and dental. <laughs> and they both have had lots of physical challenges, but they're as sharp as ever. And I got to tell you that the most wonderful people to talk to, other than my wife, that, that I've ever met. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, there, I see some real themes here, you know, in, in your books. It's all very positive and uplifting and promising. And also, it really challenges, you know, some of the ways of thinking, you know, that people have to forget, you know, that you have to get old, that you're just either innovative or you're not, or you're creative or you're not. And it sounds like you have a lot of tools for helping people find that within themselves. Would you say that's true? Well, let's hope so, since I've been passionately engaged in studying this just for the last 51 years. Yeah. So, 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 so tell me more about that, Michael. This is kind of a fascinating course that you've been on. How did you, how did you come to this? Because I got to believe a guy like you could be doing a lot of other things in the corporate world, but you're very focused on, on really bringing this information out to the, to the world. Thank you. Well, I think it's, I think it's actually because of my, my parents, both being involved in healing professions 
it never occurred to me to do anything that wasn't about healing. And I thought of going to medical school, but in those days, they hadn't yet come up with integrative medicine or functional medicine. You just had to study disease. And I was interested in optimal health. So I thought of getting a PhD in clinical psychology, but they hadn't invented positive psychology yet. You had to study neurosis and psychosis. And I wanted to focus on creativity and the fulfillment of human potential. So I, I forged an unusual path. My first profession was professional juggler. <laughs> I juggled live on stage with Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones and with Bob Dylan because uh, uh, I just fell in love with juggling and I thought it was cool and I wanted to get good at it. And then I studied something called the Alexander Technique, which was a method, it still is a method that they teach at uh, the Juilliard School, the Royal Academy of Music, Drama to develop stage presence. And a funny thing happened. There was a, a fellow in England where I was training as an Alexander Technique teacher who had put together a book about developing your memory, improving your reading speed, your creativity. And his book became a big bestseller and he became a big celebrity. And he happened to be studying the Alexander Technique. And he came to my school and I taught him how to juggle. And he taught me memory and speed reading and creativity. And we started working together. And then he said, uh, I'm, I'm leading this five-day retreat for these senior business leaders in Switzerland. Why don't you come? So I came along and, and I taught them how to juggle. And I taught them what I knew then about creativity. And they said, this, let's have this young American guy on all our programs around the world. So I just started flying around the world teaching people who were twice my age how to think creatively. And now I fly around the world and I teach people half my age how to think creatively. <laughs> well, the more things change. Okay, well, that's awesome. Well, before we let you go, um, you know, I just want to let the audience know that you do more than just write books. It's as you were saying, you, you also do uh, teaching, you do coaching. It looks like you have some online courses uh, it looks like you're a keynote from time to time. So if people want to learn more about you and some of your, your programs and, and your books and your articles, how can they contact you? Thanks very much. It's michaelgelb.com. That's G-E-L-B, michaelgelb.com. And you can write to us through michaelgelb.com. There's lots of free articles, free videos, all sorts of cool stuff. You can even learn how to juggle. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks again, Michael. This is Roger Royce on Silicon Valley Impact with Tell Radio. We'll see you next time.